Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Um, here we are today. We're with physical therapist Linda Van Leeuwen. So happy to have her here. Um, Thank you for having me. Bump your chair up a little bit more so we can get, get your voice. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of information that you can help us out with um, because I think a lot of people are confused as to why they do certain things or shouldn't do certain things as far as it comes with injuries and such. Um, like one of the things we were just talking about before that I think is like very confusing is like icing, right? Like I know like a lot of times people say like, oh, you twisted your ankle or whatever, just pack some ice on it. Like what is the purpose of ice? Like what is going on when you ice like literally on this to the cellular level and is should I be icing? Should I not be icing? Because I've I've heard all things. Like I, I know we've talked a lot. We've had like mm-hmm. a little bit of debates. I, I've read the thing where icing is actually slowing down the healing process. So maybe you can explain a little bit of that. Well, the purpose of ice obviously is applying cold to a specific area, and the cold causes blood vessels and the lymphatic system to constrict. So you're basically preventing more fluid and inflammation from getting to that area. And sometimes you're helping to pump it out as well. Um, So it's a toss-up whether or not icing is good. I think as a physical therapist, icing is good um, when there's so much swelling to a certain area that mobility of a joint is restricted. So if you roll your ankle and your joint blows up like a balloon and you can't move it around anymore, then you should ice it to calm down the inflammation so that you can start to move it and start the healing process. If, like use the example before, oh, you throw out your back, put ice on it, eh, that's more, you know, of like a vague, you know, answer because you don't know, like, well, what happened to your back? Is it a muscular thing? Is it a joint thing? There are a whole slew of things. Um, as far as like a muscular thing is concerned, ice isn't always the best option because okay. like a muscle doesn't get inflamed like a joint does. Um, so like if a baseball pitcher throws, you know, hundred miles an hour, a hundred pitches, right. um, yeah, their shoulder is going to get inflamed and irritated and that's probably a good time to put on the ice after the game. Okay. Um, but it's not always good just to throw ice on something. Okay. Well, so randomly because something hurts. So let's take it back. So you, you said like, um, for example, if let's say you roll your ankle and it mm-hmm. blows up and now mm-hmm. you pack the ice, you're trying to reduce the swelling to get get yourself more mobile so you can move the the joint. How is movement helping an athlete heal? Movement helps healing because if you just sit around and let the swelling pool, it just becomes this like, like mess of thick swelling and it gets stiffer and stiffer. The joint gets stiff and then you atrophy and then it prolongs the amount of time it takes to get better. So the more you can move, the more you can pump the swelling out. You're basically using your muscles as a pumping mechanism um, okay. to get the swelling out and then it brings the good nutrients in and it helps the healing process and it just helps with mobility. So if things get super swollen and stiff, you're going to lose that range of motion in your joint. Okay. Well, and so can you explain like what exactly is happening when you get swelling? Like why, why does, let's say your ankle swell up? Like what exactly is happening, you know, on a really... On a cellular level. Yeah, cellular <laughs> level. Can you explain that? All right. That? So if you cause some kind of trauma to your body, your body's response is to send um, like white blood cells and everything to the area to help heal that area. So if you pull a ligament or you partially tear a ligament or something like that, the purpose is to help heal that area. Okay. So it's a bunch of, it's fluid. I mean, there's water involved in it, but there are like white blood cells and stuff that assist with healing. 
Okay, so, so the goal that's, is to that's, heal the that's why that the area happened. swells up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. And so now when you apply ice to that area, like what's happening? Exactly. You're constricting everything. Okay. So you're constricting the blood vessels. So like if you hurt yourself, it kind of like throbs and stuff like that. Right, so right, when you right. put ice on it, it constricts everything. So more of that fluid and inflammation cannot get to that. Area. Okay. All right. So you're slowing down kind of that process. Yes. Now okay. you can have inflammation and swelling in an area without seeing it. So when something is visibly swollen, there's like 70% more fluid in the area than there normally is. Oh, okay. So like you can have swelling and not see it. So, so when you see it, it's bad. Right. So then, <laughs> so then like, for example, like let's say someone goes through a, a very uh, difficult workout, like weight training wise mm -hmm. or something like that. There's probably some swelling happening yeah, with that or no? Like even with soreness, it's not so much like a swelling and inflammation as it is like lactic acid buildup and kind of just like... Um, uh, what's the word? I don't know. Like, I just kind of refer to it as like the garbage that builds up, like okay. the byproduct of working out and like, you know, you have a little bit of muscle breakdown and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. So there's like toxins in the mm -hmm. area and such. Okay. Yep. Um, so, so then like you, what you would say is that you're, you should apply ice if you have major swelling in mm -hmm. an area. In certain situations. Yeah. Yep. But if, if you, you have a specific trauma, then Yes. But okay. if you're like, oh, I lifted yesterday and I'm kind of sore, then no, like ice isn't the number one option. Okay. So like, for example, like Epsom what about salt baths is usually better. What about ice baths? <sighs> ice baths are good. I mean, I wouldn't say a pole vaulter should go and take an ice bath, but like from personal experience, and this is more of me being an athlete than it is a physical therapist. Yeah. Linda um, was a distance runner, by the way. <laughs> I still am. <laughs> she still is. Sorry. Um, but, like, if you have a really hard week of training and it's, you know, like, preseason or something like that and it's just not your typical, like, season, then, right. like, an ice bath at the end of the week is good to kind of flush out your system and kind of start fresh the next week. Okay, yeah, because um, I've heard but of it, it. again, like, if you have a hard session here, I wouldn't say go home and take an ice bath. Right, because I've heard of even, like, at the end of a season mm -hmm. or something or the beginning of a season, like, those hot, cold baths. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard, or showers, I yeah, should they, say. Yeah, like a contrast bath. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That, yep. that, that helps flush the system as yeah, well. Yeah, so with the contrast bath or going from something really cold to really hot, um, basically you're getting that constriction of everything. And then when it warms up, you're getting dilation of everything. So you're right. basically, like I was saying before, the muscles kind of act yeah, as a pump. Yeah, you're trying to get the a pumping cold and action. hot acts as a pump, okay. basically. So it's just two different mechanisms. All right. And then what about like, um, sorry, I'm like bouncing around a little bit right now. <laughs> There's so much to um, talk about. <laughs> yeah. So what about like, I know a lot of people are like into like cryotherapy, right? Like they're going to a cryo chamber, which is like super, super cold. Yeah. What do you, what do you think about that? I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience with that. Okay. A lot of, that's more of like a chiropractic thing. They oh, okay. are more into those types of things. Well, it's not a physical therapy modality. So I just right, am right. not super okay. familiar with it. I've had patients who have um, had like lingering injuries and they're kind of just willing to try anything. Right, and they've right. done it a couple times. And I mean, some people say it works and I think they're kind of just hoping that it does. Mm -hmm. um, and well, there's always like the placebo effect, exactly, right? Yeah. Like we can give someone sugar pills and tell them yeah. it's going to heal them. Yeah. And yeah. they'll be like, I feel so much better. Right. And then I've had other people who it does nothing for. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I don't know. Cause that's interesting too. Cause I, I've like heard a lot about the, you know, some of the recovery benefits of just that extreme cold. Mm -hmm. And I've had people tell me, 
I guess that's more, I think Europe is a little more progressive with some of their treatment things. Mm -hmm. And I know that is something that they do over there. So I know people have gone over there and had this treatment that they can't get in the United States and it's stuff like that. And they swear by it, but right. Yeah. I mean, there's even this guy, Wim Hof that I've heard him on podcasts and stuff like that. And he swears uh, about like the healing benefits of like just the cold. Like this guy's gone, like climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in shorts. Right. Yeah. Like crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I guess like the ice thing that that's interesting. Cause I feel like there's, I, I personally feel like people overuse ice. It's oh, yeah. like, they're constantly yeah, just like no. anytime it's like just putting ice on and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's usually like the best way. Cause again, going back to like, you said like the movement, right? Yep. So yep. what, what is the benefit of movement? Because I feel like a lot of people, they just straight up rest, which sometimes you need to do, which maybe you can get into that. Like when you need to absolutely completely mm-hmm, rest and mm-hmm. not do anything, mm-hmm. but what's the problem with not getting moving as soon as possible? Like what are the benefits of moving and why, why should you do it? So if you don't move, you get stiff. So, okay. I mean, that's, and you get weak. That's really the long and short of it. Um, anytime you have, we'll talk about swelling again, when you have swelling in an area, it shuts down the muscles in that area to protect you from causing more damage. So if you don't move and kind of get everything going again, you're just going to atrophy and get weak. Okay. And then I've had people come in who have had, you know, chronic ankle sprains and stuff like that. And they literally like, they don't have the range of motion that they should have. And the longer you go without having that range of motion, the harder it is to get it back. And is part of that too, because they've had muscles that have atrophied and so they just don't have the strength either in that joint area? Um, both, both. So from not moving your joint, like your joint has a capsule that surrounds it and the capsule needs to have a certain amount of movement and give in order for you to have range of motion of a joint. So if you don't move, then that capsule gets stiff. Oh, So you have the capsule getting stiff, which is basically stuck. So that person can't move their joint and right, then right. I can't move their joint passively. Oh, wow. Yeah, and then yeah. they have the atrophy and the weakness where they can't move it, but I can. Oh, wow. So there's like a difference between like passive movement and active movement in that okay. regard. All right. Wow. So yeah, that, that's really crazy. Cause I feel like, um, a personal example, like, uh, I don't know if you remember, like, I think it was actually, I know exactly January 12th. <laughs> I really, really twisted my ankle very uh-huh. badly. Yep. Um, so I was like jumping in practice to try to demonstrate and I landed feet first in the mats, which <laughs> never land feet first in the mats. You can get hurt. And I, I felt something pop uh-huh. and I could walk on it, but it was very painful. And then unfortunately I had to drive three hours right after practice, mm-hmm. which then talk about all that blood and everything just getting yeah, into the joint. Yeah, because you're not moving. So yeah. it just pools in that area. Yeah. And then like that night, I remember I had to crawl to the bathroom to go pee. Like I literally <laughs> could not put any pressure in the middle of the night. I was concerned because I had to meet the next day, mm-hmm. which you were, you were coaching at with us. Yep. And I was like, oh my God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to walk around for this meet. Uh-huh. Um. But I, I called you that night, right? I, I think, think I talked so. to you that night and so. you were like, I you looked should, at it the next yeah, day. you're like, I think you should be fine whatever. And so I'm like really crazy about my workout. So I was like, Linda, like, <laughs> do you think I can deadlift tomorrow? And you're like, well, I don't know. Like that shouldn't affect you. So like, maybe you can, like you have to see like, right. and so stupid me, well, not stupid me. The next day <laughs> I deadlifted. I still deadlifted. I felt fine, you know, cause the next morning I was able to start moving the ankle a little bit and then mm-hmm. I deadlifted that day and I kind of like jogged around a little bit at the meet, but you, you looked at it and I mean, it, what, what did you think at the time? Do you remember? Um, it was 
pretty swollen, number one, and then you had really bad, like, point tenderness. So when I poked around, you, like, flew up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, I probably shattered my ankle, but have amazing healing oh, qualities. Oh no, gosh. I'm kidding. But it was, it was pretty bad. But I, what I felt, and I always, like, I, I mentioned this to you, was, like, I felt because I stayed active, like, I was able to use it mm-hmm. much, much quicker. Like, I think oh, yeah. within two totally. or three weeks, I was able totally. to run on it and, and start jumping again. Whereas I feel like I've seen similar injuries in other people, and it takes them so long to get back, mm-hmm. you know, because of what you were explaining with the atrophy and such. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one thing, like, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in, like, you know, obviously, if you have to, like, if you have, like, a broken leg, like, yes, you can't I was going to say fractures, yeah. that's yeah, what you yeah, yeah. But again, even, I'm not, all right, if you have a compound fracture and your bone is sticking out and you have that fixed, no, you should not walk around or you shouldn't <laughs> right, ride right. a bike or anything like that. But if you have a stress fracture or something like that, there's nothing saying you can't ride a bike. Like, right. There's, like, a fine line, and I believe you should do as much as you can without having pain. Right. So, right. you know, if, like I said, with your ankle, if you can walk around without pain, walk forever but like if you can't run don't run right yeah and i think that's that's a good guideline it's like you know if you're not having pain do do stuff that you can get away with without doing pain because i unfortunately i think sometimes like you know and don't get me wrong like you know training is hard you know and sometimes like if you have an excuse you're like ah well you know i'm hurt i can't do this Uh anymore but it's like you know you you have to keep moving otherwise you know I, i think people don't understand how important it is to like keep your strength and that really is on a muscular level and so it's like if you lose muscle mass you're gonna have a problem when it is go time again Mm -hmm. you know so you don't want to lose that much muscle mass so because you kept moving you only had like a two maybe three week recovery time and that's not to say it didn't get sore if you were like had a harder workout or something like that later on right but had you not it probably would have been like two or three times as long Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, that makes sense. And so those are things that you can do to kind of like cut down on the recovery time. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything within reason. Sometimes you go a little crazy. Yeah, I I do go a little (laughs) crazy. The the other thing that I wanted to point out too is like um, on the flip side, I do feel like certain things like um, shin splints, for example. Mm -hmm. Like what would you say to people who who are having issues with shin splints? Because I feel like like, I guess this is the topic of, like, overuse injuries, like, being that I go a little crazy sometimes. Yeah. Like, I think everybody wants to just massage the crap out of their shins, and really they just probably have to cut back, like, I guess on the distance runner mileage, mm-hmm. or, like, for a sprinter or something like that, again, cutting back on the sprinting workouts and maybe finding alternative workouts to keep right. the muscle mass good, but, like, rest the, the, the bones or joints that are having right. issues. Okay, so let's talk about what a shin splint is. Okay, okay. yeah. So shin splints happen when you overuse your calf muscles. They start to pull away from your bone, your shin bone, your tibia, the front of your lower leg. When it starts to pull away from the bone, you're basically exposing the bone to the stress of you pounding on the ground when you're running or jumping or something Mm -hmm. like that. So that's when you start to get the pain and the tenderness in your bone. Okay. So... Yes, you have to, you know, massaging, massaging your shins isn't going to do anything. You need to work on your calf muscles, number one. Okay. So you need to work on the flexibility. You need to stretch them. Okay. And yes, massaging them is good because usually you have knots or some kind of right, like soft right. tissue tension there. But mm-hmm. there's a reason why that built up in the first place, which it could be overuse, but it's usually like a biomechanical type thing. Right. So improper running form. Yeah. Improper running form or something like that. So yes, you can massage the crap out of your calves and you can make your shin splints go away, but that's not going to fix the problem. So you need to address the issue, whether it's that you have flat feet and you collapse when you run and you need to get some kind of inserts for your shoe 
or it's because you hit the ground the wrong way and your, your heel's striking or something like that when you're running. Like, you need to fix what the problem is. Typically, okay. people who have problems with shin splints always have problems with shin splints. What it's not you- like you just have shin splints one time and then like, right, it's never right. an issue again. Like, I had them my first year when I was running in high school. I didn't have the right shoes because I have flat feet, but I was like 14 years old. Right. You know that. You know <laughs> this better, is, yeah. you know, new to me. Um, and I still like now when my shoes wear out and I don't have that arch support, like I can right. tell you, Oh, my shins are starting to hurt. It's time to get yeah. new shoes. Right. No. I know that about myself. No, it's so funny. Cause I, I think about that. Like I'll see like kids who are like maybe distance runners even, and they're wearing like Nike freeze <gasps> and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that's not okay. You know? And then, yeah, like you said, like I even can tell with my running sneakers, like just like pole vaulting or doing some sprint workouts you know, I can feel that the the foam is like mm-hmm. dead and it's yep. like, it's time for a new pair, yep. you know, mm-hmm. which I don't think enough people stay on top of. Yeah. Um, and I don't, it's probably harder, like with distance running, it's like, okay, 300, you know, to 500 miles used to get a new pair of shoes. When you're a distance runner, that's pretty much all you do in your sneakers is run in them. Right. So you have a good gauge as to like how long you've had your shoes for, how many miles right. you have on your shoes. When you're, you know, pole vaulting or sprinting or something like it's harder to keep track of that. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I get that that can be difficult yeah i mean i for me i would definitely tell people like you probably want to change your your sneakers i would would think once a season season, you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like that that's probably a good good indicator i mean if you're someone that's training hard um yeah well now also sticking to shin splints specifically aren't there some shin splints that could lead to stress fractures yes so if you continue to not address the issue and you're like oh I have shin splints but it's okay I'm just going to keep training and I'm going to keep running bad and I'm going to get well I got new sneakers but they still hurt like yeah. it can turn into a stress fracture so now can you explain to people like what is a stress fracture like what what's going on there when so you get a stress a, fracture it's a type of a broken bone like okay. there is a crack in your bone it's okay. caused by like a it's basically a failure of your bone to absorb the stresses that you're putting on it okay. so it's like a hairline fracture it's not that it's shattered or anything like that, but you do have it. It's broken. Okay. All right. But it's not displaced or anything like that. You can still walk on it. Typically, like if you had shin splints and you got a stress fracture in your shin, you would get like a walking boot. Okay. Um, cause wasn't it a couple of years ago, there was that one like college basketball player, like uh, shattered yeah. his leg in half. <laughs> and that, that was apparently like. From stress yeah. fractures or like what's Usually what's the something deal? Something that gruesome is something else. Like, I mean, they can have like a benign tumor in their bone or something. Like, usually it's some kind of tumor that causes like the bone just to shatter like that. Yes, there are like freak things I've heard of distance runners running with shin splints and their you know. leg snaps. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I can't imagine that. <laughs> I haven't crazy. read up on the statistics as like how many yeah you know shin splint people turn into stress fractures that turn into compound fractures i mean well and and i guess like the the point of like what we're trying to get through here is i mean hopefully everybody understands what a stress fracture is and hopefully everybody understands (laughs) shin splints now but anything that is like a a chronic pain that you're getting like you said it there's a reason for it Mm -hmm. whether it's improper form or technique whether it's running or pole vaulting like Mm -hmm. let's say if you're you're that guy that's always under always getting hit well that's probably why your lower back hurts Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but the thing is then you need to kind of step back, find other ways of training until you correct that technical issue and right. you also are pain-free. Yes. Because it's going to be hard to fix technique if you're in immense pain. I mean, this yeah. this past season, actually, I, I had uh, a high school girl, Lily Brown, who was actually on the Zero uh, episode. 
She ended up jumping 11.6 with 11.3 grip indoors, which is pretty good. That's 11-inch push. Um, but, you know, she started developing this lower back pain. And, yes, there were some things technically that she was doing, mm-hmm. um, which was causing her to, like, pinch her hips forward and, and cause some back pain. But we couldn't fix that till she was healed. I mean, maybe can you go over, like, some of the process we did with Lily to try to get her feeling good? Like, maybe explain a little bit deeper her injury because you, you okay, know more so- about it. Lily, let's start from before she even pole vaulted, she was a gymnast. So that alone kind of leads you along the, like, she's hypermobile. Like, she, you know, you've seen gymnasts. What, what do you mean by hypermobile? That's what I was just going to get Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> They're, like, super, super flexible. So double-jointed, hypermobile. Too much mobility of a okay. joint. So if you watched the Olympics and the gymnasts and stuff like that, when they land and they put their arms up at the end, they have this like crazy like back extension where they like hinge from one spot. And you're saying that's not good. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) So I knew just because of her history of being a gymnast, she was going to have some kind of like excessive mobility in her spine. And sure enough, after looking at her back and seeing the way she moved, that's what it was. So we had to work on some stability exercises with her to stabilize all of that so that she could continue to train and kind of get better and jump without pain. Okay. Yeah. So when you you say stability exercises, you're trying to build strength around her, her spine. Yes. So when you have too much mobility of a joint, like I said before, the capsule that like stabilizes the joint, that capsule is too loose and the ligaments that surround the joint are too loose. So you need to address the um, strength of the muscles in that area because that's the only thing that's going to give stability now. Everything else is moving around too much because the capsule and the ligaments are too loose. Right. So you need to use the muscles in that area to provide the stability that the capsule and the ligaments cannot Right. And, and that just happens because of like overstretching. So if you have an elastic band, that's like what a ligament yeah. is, and you just keep pulling and stretching and stretching, it's just going to get loose. It's never going right. to tighten back up. Yeah. Band. So that's like yeah. what happens with dancers and, you know, even pole vaulters. They have these like crazy weird shoulder, like, right, you know, right, right, right. Mobility or like a baseball player with throwing overhead. Well, right. That's, that's any of that stuff with like, the repetitive motion. It's just stretching and stretching yeah, elastic band. Before we go back to Lily, I guess, I, you know, one thing I always talk about like with shoulders and back and, and hips and everything is like, look, you'll get vaulters sometimes who are starting to build up so much runway speed and get so proficient technically speaking, mm-hmm. but let's say their shoulders are super, super weak. Mm-hmm. And so now when they get hit, like they're going to stretch way too far back. And like you said, it's hypermobile. Uh-huh. And now you keep stretching that ligament. Eventually something's going to pop or it's just not going to feel good. And you're not yeah. going to, you're yeah. not going to want to take off anymore. Right. You're going to feel so much pain right. that you're like or, backing off. Right. And then even if you don't like dislocate your shoulder or something like that, you're going to develop a tendonitis in your shoulder because those muscles are constantly trying to work. Like they're overworking to try and stabilize your joint. So time out. Can you explain what tendonitis is? Okay. Tendonitis is an inflammation of a tendon. So anything medical that ends in ITIS, itis is inflammation. Okay. So it's basically inflammation of whatever the word before it is. Okay. So tendonitis. All right. So now (laughs) what happens when a tendon becomes inflamed? Like what's, what's going on in there? That's what's going on in there. It's, <laughs> it's but, but why, but why so is it's it, irritated why? because you're overusing it. Okay. It's working harder than it should. And usually, again, it's either because of a laxity somewhere else or because other muscles aren't doing their job and there's a muscle imbalance. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, if you constantly get hit at takeoff, it's probably because everything else is too loose. But Right. Know. Like even like something like jumper's knee, mm-hmm. like people, you know, talk about jumper's knee. That's usually tendonitis. Uh, of I mean, your patella tendon. Yep. Yeah. 
And it's like that's I've seen it where like pole vultures are just really flat. They don't jump up at takeoff, and so that that patella tendon is taking the brunt of the mm-hmm. force. And that's more of like an overuse thing. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay, this is like all really good stuff. Um, <laughs> and then you should ice <laughs> tendonitis. You should use ice. You should ice tendonitis. Uh huh. In the beginning. So okay. oh my gosh, this is getting really technical. But tendonitis is like an acute inflammation. Okay. If you continue to have this chronic, let's say jumper's knee. So you have pain in the front of your knee. Okay. Yeah. If you have this chronically, months and months and months, it turns into tendinosis. That's okay. a totally different like chemical reaction that's going on in the tendon. Oh, it's like wow. the tendon degrades because you Oh wow. Like caused it so, so the much tendon's irritation. getting weaker at this point then. Uh, when you yeah, say degrade. in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um and at that point ice is no longer beneficial. Oh wow. Heat okay. actually works better for that. Oh, okay. Now we're getting like really complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why okay. I kind of like evaluate so, like, everyone on a case by case. So basis. if somebody <laughs> tells me that they have jumper's knee, they're getting tendonitis, they probably shouldn't just be popping Advil and continuing to jump through the pain. No. That's a bad idea. I mean if it's like a week before nationals, then yeah, go right. for it. Okay, and that's yeah, the yeah. Athlete in me speaking. Right. Not the physical right, right. But yeah, so it's like if you're getting these chronic pains, like you really like to me, the way I think about these situations, Linda, is like I think about it almost like you're you have to be a detective. So if you get yeah. these injuries, you have to try to work every angle and see, okay, is it a technical issue? Is it a physical mm-hmm. issue? Maybe it's a combination of both yep. because you have athletes who are either doing things technically wrong or they don't have enough strength to be able to withstand the impact of takeoff yep. or whatever else they, they might be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, going back back to Lily as an example. You know, I remember you gave her various strengthening exercises. We probably took a month before we started jumping again. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I felt was really great was she did strengthen her back. She figured out how to move it better too because mm-hmm. that that was huge just, just from a running, walking standpoint. And then we were able to start, you know, jumping again and fix her technical issues in her jump. And right. now she's experiencing a lot less pain, Good. you know? Mm-hmm. So, and she actually just placed for state meet of champs. She jumped 11 this weekend with 10-9 grips. So that matches her best push, 11 inches. And then we pushed it back to a seven mid-meet and she almost cleared 11-6, which would tire PR. So I'm very happy. <laughs> Lily's very happy. And we're both very thankful for Linda's <laughs> help. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, I think that that's, that's really huge because I've, I know for me as a coach, and you, you know I'm very big in strength and conditioning too with our athletes, you know, I feel like a lot of people don't address the muscular weaknesses mm-hmm. that they have, and then mm-hmm. they start popping up with these injuries. And that's mm-hmm. why I try to like, you know, you know, I use not just the main lifts, but I use the reverse hyper and some mm-hmm. other auxiliary exercises to try to help strengthen uh, people. I mean, how do, you, how do you feel about that? As a physical therapist, how important do you think like muscle strength is to prevent injuries? I mean, it's very important. It's the basis of what I do. So, you know, like we said before, all of my patients who come into physical therapy, whether they're like 90 years old and have never done any kind of strengthening in their life, or I have an elite athlete, they all do strengthening exercises with me. Now, obviously, I don't have the 90-year-old doing the same thing my elite athletes do, but it's the same idea. Grandma should deadlift 300 pounds or something like that? No, not right off the bat. (laughs) People have bigger issues. Yeah, all right. But no, it's all a degree of strengthening. And again, your muscles need strength in order to withstand what you do to it on a daily basis, whether that's the old lady walking down the street or the athlete running down the runway. Right. I think that that's an important point, too. It's like you need to make sure that your body can handle or has the strength it needs to withstand its daily activity. Yep. You know, so... Because if not, that's when you have failure and injury and tendonitis and stress fractures and everything. Right, right, which I always get into these arguments with my brother 
who again I mentioned the last <laughs> podcast, not great athlete, but he'll he'll tell me like I'm ruining my body by training so hard. And okay, I may be overdoing it sometimes, mm-hmm. but it's like he he gets to the point where sometimes he might have back pain or knee pain, mm-hmm. and he's not an athlete, like he's not doing anything athletic. But like you said, he probably doesn't have the the strength that his body needs for his daily activity, Correct. and yep. he would need to build that up mm-hmm. um, because and. Now going up to something I brought up earlier, I recently posted a, a video. Uh, so I have this girl, Sophia Baus. Uh, Sophia, I hope I pronounced your last name right. Um, <laughs> but she is in eighth grade. She's five foot tall. She's 95 pounds. And so we were maxing out doing singles and she ended up doing 200 pounds in deadlift, which amazing. You know, I posted a video and somebody posted a comment. They were like, you're going to kill her back. So... You know, I mean, maybe can you discuss that? I guess there's a couple issues with that. One, I feel like still in the track community, there's this like very anti-lifting thing. Like mm-hmm. people think that body weight is enough, especially in an event like pole vault. Then the other thing is the issue that maybe you can address like with, let's say, younger athletes lifting. Um, and maybe are there any precautions to take? Are there any dangers? You know, I've heard various different things. I have my own beliefs, but I'm not a doctor. I'm a football <laughs> coach. So, you know, I'd like your input on that. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, there you go. What do you, what, what do you think? <laughs> All right. Well, let's – what was the first thing you wanted me to talk um, about? I, the, I guess just the role of strength and conditioning for track athletes, you know. Okay. Is well, that something that, that's important, you know? Yeah. On any, I mean, let's not talk about distance running right now. Let's talk about pole vault, jumps, all that stuff. Yeah, you yeah. need a level of explosiveness. So you need strength that's not typical from anything that you could do, you know, with some cuff weights or little dumbbells or bands or anything like that. Right, you right, do right. need a degree of, like, heavier lifting okay. in order to have strength to do the explosive yeah. stuff. Now, I'm not saying that you should go and deadlift something for five minutes, like not as many reps as possible in five minutes, because then you get more into the endurance thing. Like you need to do the short stuff. Right, which right. I'm, I don't know if you've discussed it in your other podcasts because I haven't listened to all of them. But Maybe, but that's okay. You, <laughs> you say whatever you need to say to explain this. Um, so, yes, their strength training is important. Um I think where you and I differ in the strength training thing is I do think the lifts that you have your athletes do is important, but I know you are a little bit against like the whole like functional movement stuff and functional strength training stuff. Well, no, I don't think I'm like, I I would say I'm not against functional movement. And I think even like today uh, with Lily, for example, Uh um, you know, we just jumped this weekend, whatever. Um, I had her do not belt squats, but for anybody that's not familiar with belt squats, what you have is like this belt that's around your, your hips Mm -hmm. and then a chain that goes below, below in between your legs. And then you can add weight there. So instead of a traditional back squat where you have a bar on your back, the weight is around your hips. So it provides a little bit of attraction to your back, Mm. you know, that, that provides healing and you can still load up the legs and use the legs. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even have her actually squat today. All I had her do was just have the belt attached to her. She had about 115 pounds, real easy. And she just did walking in mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. with that. So that way, like, she, she can just kind of loosen up the back a little bit. I don't know if that's the technical term I should be using. Yeah, but, <laughs> but uh, like, stuff like that, like, I mean, I definitely do some stuff that's not, you know, the most explosive or the heaviest right. weight stuff right. that I feel like builds up. I just... My thing is, like, I feel like people don't hit up the the heavy weights and the main no, lifts enough. No, there, there needs to be a mix of both. 
you need the functional strengthening and then you need like the heavier strengthening that you do and you need both together because the lifting that you have them do is all straight plane. So it's in one direction. It's forward back, it's side to side, it's rotational. It's not all at the same time. So the functional movement stuff works all of those planes at the same time. Right. Right. So, I mean, like, that's like something even like, um, again, I don't, you know, you tell me what you think about this, but, uh, I just happened to see a CrossFit video (laughs) and some guy was like, they had like an overhead, like, um, stance Mm -hmm. where they're holding a dumbbell above their head, Mm -hmm. but then they're like walking lunges while they do that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that looks cool. I'm going to try it. (laughs) So that's kind of like my thing. It's not very scientific, (laughs) but (laughs) and, and I mean, I had some thought behind it, but anyway. So it's like an overhead press that you're holding mm-hmm. with with weight. I did 40 pounds and I did, I think, uh, 40 feet w- of walks mm-hmm. uh, of just the walking lunges. Right. And it's like definitely you feel the difference. It's like totally. – um, Yeah, because everything needs to work. Yeah. If your core wasn't working as you were holding that weight up overhead and lunging, you'd fall over. Right, which like to me it's like, okay, like I in my workouts I'll do like a double leg box squat – and then I'll back that up with three sets of 10 single leg squat. Like today I did 205 for 10. And it was like I'm doing that lunge with like a 40-pound kettlebell. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is so much harder. Like, right. And I'm like, I feel like a baby because I'm like, I, you know, I can do right. the other thing. Yep. But, yeah, like every exercise is different. You need yeah. a mix of both. Yeah. I don't think it's all one or all the other. Right. But de- definitely a huge role. Like building strength is a huge role. And I guess one analogy that I wanted to use with you, I mean, especially uh, Linda's a, a proud new mommy. Uh, <laughs> how old is Julia now? Three and a half months. Three and a half months. She's she's amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and my nephew, who's one, very in love with her. Very in love with her. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean, the way I even think about strength training, it's like, Babies are technically strength training. Yep. When they're learning to turn over or sit mm-hmm. up or walk, yeah, for up. them, that is enough strength, uh, stress to promote adaption yeah. and they get stronger. Yep. And so the thing is, like, even with athletes, what you ha- I always feel like is like you have to always make sure that you're providing them enough stress mm-hmm. that they can get adaption, you know. And sometimes, like you said, even it's looking at different exercises. Like I was actually talking about that on Sunday with one of my athletes who just finished States and saying how, you know, now she's at a point where she's so strong in the main lifts that we have to start looking at auxiliary exercises Mm -hmm. that are maybe more functional. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily like that word. Maybe I just have a problem with the word, but like more functional. Yeah. So that way she can push those main lifts up even further, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly like, I, I just think sometimes people have this like idea of strength training. It's like, Oh my God, like they saw like a 95 pound girl deadlift 200. Like that's terrible. She shouldn't be doing that. But I wasn't giving her so much stress that she's going to get hurt. I was just, no. that's what she so, can handle. Yes. As long as you can do it with good form. And I know that you are a stickler for form, which mm-hmm. is good because obviously yeah. I agree with that. That's what I do for a living yeah. is make sure people do things with good form. Yeah. And just to be fair, I mean, if you do end up going on our uh, Instagram and watching the video, she does round her back a little bit. But the thing is like the video that I didn't put up was like her 190 pound deadlift was easy, fast, and mm-hmm. bar speed was great. Mm-hmm. And so we tried 200. Yeah, she lost a little bit of form, but that's why we also stopped there. Right, So exactly. I didn't push so it past that So that's the key is that she stopped there. Yeah. So that's the most important part is that you go to the point of that, like, failure where your form isn't perfect anymore and then you're done. 
And then right. you kind of continue to perfect that at that weight so that that cleans up and looks good and you can do it with good form and then you move on. Right, right, right. Where people get into trouble is when they're like, oh, well, I'm rounding my back or I'm lifting my hips when I bench press, but it's okay because I, you know, did the weight. Like, no, that's not how Right, that yeah, yeah. This, like, idiot last spring was getting shoulder pain, not doing <laughs> stuff right in bench, and he didn't listen to Linda. He kept benching through pain. He, in fact, was getting nauseous during sets. But that's okay. <laughs> but that's okay. That, that idiot was me, and I eventually took three months off of benching. It was hard. It wasn't easy, but I, I had to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so, no, I definitely, you know, from a personal level and just as a coach, yeah, I definitely see that, that where it's like, you know, you got to make sure your idea of failure isn't just, oh, I didn't get the weight up. Failure is like you didn't do it right. Perfect, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess now switching gears a little bit, what about, or wait, did we answer all the questions? No, we, talked we about didn't track? talk about like young kids lifting. And yeah, what, that. yeah, okay, yeah. What do you think about young kids lifting? You know, as like Julia's as... been snatching already and doing <laughs> yeah. a, a power cleans yep, and stuff, uh-huh. right? Every day. <laughs> um, I mean, kind of going back to making sure everyone has perfect form and stuff like that, like that's number one. So you can start at any age teaching good form. Okay. Um, and then once they kind of learn good form and stuff like that, then you can slowly build up. So I'm not saying like a five-year-old should go in like deadlift whatever weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you teach them good form and how that works and then you slowly build up the weight. Right, because there's some people now, this is where you can maybe explain something. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, kids shouldn't lift because it's going to stretch out the muscles. They won't grow right or something. Like, mm, is that no, actually scientific no, at all? No, You don't stretch muscles by strengthening. Okay, no. all right. Just, any, I mean, when you lift or you provide any stress to your body, you're actually stimulating. Not stimulating bone growth like you're going to grow taller, but stimulating. So I'm not going to get taller? No. Dude, I've been Come doing on, this I would to not get be 5'2". <laughs> <laughs> but you're stimulating bone growth as in like the bone density. Right, right. Okay. So it's, it's good that, yeah. you know, kids should do a level of strength training. Now... I personally think that younger kids, and I'm talking like kids that aren't in your club, like seven, eight years old. Young, right, right, right. Benefit from doing like resistance band type stuff. Right. First, and then once they kind well, of right, do that, that, then kind of Because that's their, their level too. Right. And right. to be fair, like again, you know, I think I always try to give accommodating resistance to any of my athletes. I mean, I've had high school boys come in who are juniors who are very weak, mm-hmm. who don't end up doing the main lifts for months and months right. because they have to build up strength doing just basic body movement mm-hmm. first. Um, so, so yeah. that Okay. So that basic body movement that you just said is functional movement. Right. Right. And it's also, and in a way too, it's still strength training because totally. that's, that's yes. what that kid yes. needs to promote yes. adaption to his muscles. Yep. Once they get past that point, now you have to add mm-hmm. more resistance, yep. you know? Um, so it's, it's just interesting get, getting all that stuff. Um, what about to like, what about foam rolling? Like, what, what's what's up with that? And you know, I mean, okay, so this is like athlete Linda talking. Foam rolling, I think, is really great. I had IT band issues for like a year, and it wasn't until I started foam rolling that they went away, and I could run pain free, and all was well in the world. Okay. Um, before when we were talking about shin splints and like the tissue tension that builds up right, in the calf right. muscles, mm-hmm. foam rolling is great for that. Anytime you have a hard workout, foam rolling is good, you know, just to kind of keep everything pliable. So, okay. like, foam rolling is basically, like, you kneading a piece of, like, cold clay. So, you're massaging it and you're making it pliable. So, it, 
if you foam roll, then it'll help you. It'll allow you to stretch better. And, you know, it kind okay. of like, um, yeah, it's just good. So <laughs> that's very good. Uh, um, so here's the thing that I like to bring up too a lot of times. So obviously you're saying like foam rolling helps with the healing process, uh-huh. ha- helps to, to get those muscles Soft ready. Helps. Yeah. Yep. Um, but again, we're talking about like percentage points of how how much faster something will heal or be prepared for for activity. Yeah, right? but when you're competing at like an elite level, it's all the little things that make the difference. That's true. If that's you can true. recover faster than the next person, you can train a little harder. Right, and <laughs> I mean that's why even like we were talking about before, like even diet, right? It's like mm-hmm. sugar and carbs; they usually cause inflammation. So if you mm-hmm. cut that out of your diet, you'll mm-hmm. you'll be able to heal faster. Yep. So yeah, I definitely. I it's just sometimes I feel like some people overdo it with like yeah, stuff I mean, like foam people, rolling and stretching and stuff like that. Me, it's like um, they're foam rolling and stretching more than they're working out. Yeah. And it's no, like, no, okay, no, no. You know? I remember one time I had a friend who was like, Oh yeah, I was at the gym for three hours. I started, you know, I warmed up on the bike and then I foam rolled for 20 minutes and I was like, Whoa, like who has time for that? Yeah. No, but no, no. I mean, you know, my rule of thumb with foam rolling is like pick the body part that like you have an issue with. If you have shin splints, foam roll your calves. If you have knee pain, foam roll your quads. Like, right? You yeah, don't no. Need to foam roll your whole body. Yeah, some people day. are doing like, like no, total body no, foam rolling, no, 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 no. and I'm like, I don't know. It, I almost feel like sometimes like the foam rolling becomes like someone's like blankie. You know what I mean? Like they're a little kid. And they, that's their blankie, and if yeah. they do this, everything's gonna be okay. Um, I mean. That helps you mentally go for it, but I guess if you have the physiologically, time, physiologically, no. <laughs> but but yeah, like you bring up the the time, like because I know even for me, I have such a busy schedule. Like I have a limited amount of time to actually mm-hmm. work out. I've got to make sure those workouts count. Yeah, you know, totally. Um, and obviously for an athlete who has more time, like you need to be hitting those protocols, like whether it's foam rolling, yeah. stretching, yeah. you know, icing, whatever, whatever you got to do to make sure your body is ready quicker. Right. Or sooner than later. Right. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting something. I feel like there's something else I want to talk about. I mean, we talked about the nutrition a little bit. Yeah. We talked about yeah. ice. We talked about yeah. I mean, I guess maybe then we covered everything. That's it. All of you should be healthy after this. <laughs> Listen to this. This is all you need to know. Um, well, and I guess uh, let me ask you this. How important is it for athletes to go to physical therapy like you know what I mean like you're good you're gonna get hurt at some point at mm-hmm. some point I feel like mm-hmm. you know so when do when do you think is a good time for an athlete to go see a physical therapist how often you know should they be going like because I feel like that's even like something that comes up like I've had athletes who it's like oh my god like dude you're going to physical therapy or somebody like twice a week every week and like what What's the deal? Are you, like, better yet? Like, Yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, as far as, like, the frequency or how long they should be going, like, that's all on a case-by-case basis. Right, And right. it really has to do with, like, the kind of support that they have at their school. So, like, when right. I was in high school, I had a physical therapist as my trainer, which okay. was awesome. So it was right. like, oh, you know, my quad is bothering me. What do I do? And she gave me instruction, and then I saw her maybe one more time, and I was on my way and better. Um, so well, I didn't need to go to an office for physical. Right. Therapy. Well, I think you also bring up a good point in, in that regard. Like, I mean, maybe some of you are lucky to have a physical therapist as your trainer, but regardless, whether you're seeing your trainer or a physical therapist, mm-hmm. that, that physical therapist gave you stuff to do and mm-hmm. you did it. Yes. <laughs> yes. How oh imp- my God. Do you how know how many people don't explain do their that. stuff? Oh, yeah. Explain what do I that. have to explain? Just do your homework. When a well, physical therapist gives you something to do, just do it. 
There's yeah. a reason for it. We don't just like make stuff up for the fun of it. Right. Yeah. And I, and I look, I guess this is kind of like a life thing too. It's kind of like, you know, there's that kid, you, you said homework, so I'll use the school <laughs> analogy. Like there's that kid that never does their homework and then wonders why they're not getting an A in class. Mm-hmm. Or there's that kid who, or that person who has a job and they're just not busting their butt at, at the company and they're wondering why they're not getting a promotion. You know, it's like, yep. well, you got to do all the extra little stuff, mm-hmm. you know. And so like like Lily, for example, you gave her her homework, yep. those exercises. Yeah, what I she did, did them all. And yeah, she did them times, all the time. It. Yeah. Right. So it's like that. that's huge. Because I, again, I, going back to like the blankie analogy, I just feel like some people, it's like they just want something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they end up just being that person that's like always going to physical therapy. And I mean, do you, do you find that those situations happen? Like the people who go to physical therapy constantly, but they're not always getting better because yeah. of this homework issue? Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. And that, you know, people think that most times I see people two or three times a week. And this is not just athletes. It's my patients across right. the board. They think me treating them for two hours is going to fix their problem. And they don't always understand that it's like a lifestyle change on the days in between is what's going to help them get better. Right, right. So, I mean, that's, uh, again, it's funny. Like, I can see so many analogies with this. It's like the person maybe who's working out for the first time because they want to maybe, like, either lose weight or just change their body composition. And they think, like, the one or two times a week that they're with their personal trainer, they're mm-hmm. going to see some magical results. Yep. But the rest of the week, I'm going to eat chocolate cake and I'm going to eat like hamburgers and cheeseburgers. Lots of cheat days. Yeah, yeah, a lot All of cheat days. And in fact, it was funny. I was talking to one of my athletes today because we were just talking about just like mentality and what it takes. And I was like, almost like it's like to me, it's like it's got to be almost like a ninety percent to ten percent rule. It's as what you're doing ninety percent yeah. of the time is way more important than ten percent of the time. But what most people do is they live a, a rule of like maybe like 30% to 70%. Mm-hmm. So like 30% of the time, I'm good, right? <laughs> like I went to the gym three times. I worked out and I mm-hmm. ate three salads this week. And yep. so I'm good. And it's like that's what they don't realize. So it's like just by going to your physical therapist once or twice a week to work on, let's say like, I don't know, you can have like back issues like mm-hmm. Lily or maybe it's a shoulder issue and it's like, that's great that you're going to a physical therapist, but if you're not doing your exercises at home or at practice, and if you're not starting to work on maybe even like stuff like diet and sleep mm-hmm. and all, mm-hmm. or even just the way you, you move, I was you know, say technique. Yeah. Because you know, again, then you're not fixing the source of the problem. Right. Right. You're just going to end up in the, in the same mm-hmm. spot. So it's like, you really have to dig deep. If you have a chronic injury that's been bugging you, whether it's shin splints or maybe some tendonitis issues in, in your knee or shoulder, you know, it's like you have to really diagnose what's, what's causing that and try to eliminate that and make sure you're staying on top of your strengthening right. exercises. So that's when like going to a physical therapist is a good thing because hopefully if they're a good physical therapist, they're not just going to treat the issue that they see in front of them, but they're going to be like, well, how did it get this way or why is it this way? And then they're going to try and fix it right. from, you know, the ground up yeah. so that it doesn't happen again. Because yeah. I don't like when patients come back because to me, that's like a personal failure. Like crap, like I fixed you for a month, but I didn't fix you enough that you like could go on your life and not need Right, anymore. right. You keep so. having the same issue. Mm-hmm. No, I, and, and I've had patients come back and they're like, no, you know, it's not right. And it's like, okay, well we fixed this and clearly that wasn't the trick. So now we have to look at something else. Like I right. had a person with chronic knee pain and I finally like looked at their core strain and right. like that was what it was because I literally addressed everything else and couldn't figure out what it was. 
Right. And, and you know what's so crazy? Because I was sitting, uh, sitting down with Andrew Brown the other night, who's a friend of mine. He's a former pole vulture, and he's also a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And he was showing me, like, one of his, like, college textbooks or whatever. And the amount of, like, like, we all think about these, like, big muscle groups, like, quad, hamstring, right? Like normal people, right? Like like the average person, not medical person. And it's like, that's it. But when you think about all the little muscles and ligaments that are all over your body uh-huh. and the possible causes for why you're totally. experiencing pain, it's right. like, it's unbelievable. It's like mm-hmm. endless. And so that's, yeah, you're right. That's That's where the physical therapist needs to come in to maybe be able to be that detective that finds that out so that you can now deal with it and figure it out for the rest of your life. Right. You know, and sometimes, you know, like you were saying with the little tiny muscles. So a lot of times physical therapy is addressing the tiny muscles. I mean, unless they had some kind of traumatic injury, people don't usually come in with like a hurt quad, you know what I mean? Right, like right, there's right, right. another issue. So like you were saying before with like how hard it was holding the weight overhead and doing the lunges and stuff like that, like that's working all those tiny little muscles. Right. And that was hard. And now yeah. a lot of times high level athletes, they come to physical therapy and they have this like humbling experience because they're like, well, I can deadlift 300 pounds, but like, what do you mean this is hurting me or something? And yeah, then I like yeah. have them do like a harder, like stability type exercise that works all those tiny muscles. And they're like, why can't I do this? And it's like, right. because you don't work those little muscles. So we need to do that. And then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, definitely so, like, I think in, in training that comes out too, like even before you're injured, it's like, if you're getting to a plateau or a sticking point, it's usually because there's something little like that mm-hmm. preventing you from getting better, mm-hmm. you know? Um, wow. I, I think we covered a lot, but there's probably more, right? Like it's like, do yeah. I get my physical therapy degree now? Can I do no, this? I have but yeah, there's plenty more and I'm sure we're going to have, you know, Linda on again and maybe we can even get Andrew on at some point. Yeah. Um, maybe we can start a controversy. I'll get Linda to say one thing and Andrew to fight about I, it. And then, I mean, I and then we, we can get them both. disagree that much <laughs> being in the same profession. Well, but you know, there's always totally. those controversial yeah. stuff. Um, but I wanted to thank you for your time, Linda, because I know you came at the end of the night <laughs> and you have a, you have a beautiful baby that you got to take care well, of. Thank you. Um, Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. All right. See you guys next time.